Thank you. I thought I'd just check what the word sermon meant before I stood up. And uh, according to my dictionary, which doubles up as a Bible, it says this, sermon, a long or tedious piece of admonition or reproof. (laughs) So I hope you're ready. Okay, my son showed me how to set my clock. I do intend to be brief. The stopwatch is beginning about now. My name's Steve. If this is being recorded, I'm going to try not to use the names of countries so they can get passed around. Um, We're with INET. If you get confused with all these net names, INET, if you think of international network, so it's the overseas bit, that makes it easy to remember. We're with INET and we're in our 25th year overseas. Two weeks ago, I was in my home city and I had four days to get lots of paperwork completed. An absolutely impossible task. Despite being there 25 years, I still have residence permit problems. And they gave me a list of things to do. And the equivalent in London would be saying you've got four days to go to Tottenham to do this piece of paperwork, Bromley to do that, Eating to do something else, then go over to Swanley and get that sign, then come back here. It's just impossible to do. So I rang my friend and said, can you help me? And he said, I can give you a car, a chauffeur-driven car, and my private secretary, and they will help you through this stuff. And any department you go to, just ask the secretary to ring, and you'll be straight into the boss's office, and you can cut through all the red tape. Nice friend, eh? So I thanked him, and on the fourth day, I still was nowhere near finishing, despite all the help. And I had to meet someone in a street that I couldn't find in the social security office. It was the boss that I had arranged to meet, because I could never do it on my own. I got into reception, very hot and sweaty, because I was late for the rendezvous. The boss was waiting on the sixth floor. The secretary was there. He'd gone ahead of me to wait for me. And I rushed into reception, and she said, what do you want? I said, I need the sixth floor. I went up to the sixth floor, opened the doors, and they said, welcome. Would you like tea or mineral water? I said, both, please. And then the big boss of the whole of Social Security for the whole of the big city said to me, my name's Jesus. How can I help you? which was music to my ears. And he did things on his computer in two minutes, which I couldn't have done in... I'd still be there now, because he had the authority to do it. Good to be with you. Thank you for your encouragement, your support, your prayers for the country and countries where we work. I want to tell you about four people in these next 20 minutes. Two of them I've met face-to-face in recent months. One I've only seen in a newspaper, and the other one I read briefly about in a book. Okay, so we'll tackle them in that order. The first person out of these four I met for the first time back in May this year. What a start she had in life. She was born in a small town on the edge of a desert up in Central Asia. 
And the woman in the next bed to her mother had lost two children in very early life. So rather than risk losing a third child, the woman in the next bed on the maternity ward swapped babies. So she was taken home by a woman who wasn't her mother. When she became a few years old, people in the family said, you don't look like us, you don't really belong here, and she started to be shunned by the family that had stolen her, basically. DNA tests followed, and the authorities decided that she needed to be returned to her rightful mother. Before the woman who'd stolen her handed her over, she'd taken pieces of cotton and stuffed them right up the top of her nose on both sides and ran them fully up there to get her revenge on her blood mother who wanted her back. And her blood mother, once she was returned, didn't realize that there was cotton stuffed at the top of her nose. And I don't understand this, but in time she went completely deaf as a result and is deaf to this day. In May, she came to our house, which is by a lake. If you want to know what we're up to, this little brochure here explains it. You're welcome to take one. I've got about 20 here. If you take one, please don't leave it lying around. So she came to our home with other deaf people from her little town. And it was just wonderful to see the joy on her face and to spend five days with her helping them find ways to church plant in a country which is very, very strict and won't tolerate church planting. One of the advantages they've got is that the authorities can't track them on phones because they can't speak, so the police can't intercept phone calls. The police don't understand language, so they get away with a lot more, and it's the fastest-growing section of the church in that country by a long, long way. All the deaf people in that country have experienced rejection They're told you're cursed by God, that's why you're deaf. And they've they've looked elsewhere for hope, and hundreds are finding Jesus just in that country with a small population. So we're in the Middle East, Tara and myself, and Central Asia for people just like her. And we were arranging... Obviously, we can't speak to them. We were arranging for them to come back, possibly this October, to visit us by the lake. It's impossible for us to get visas to that country. We've blotted our copybooks there. So we need to bring them to us. And even if we could get there, you're so watched. Every movement you make is watched that we couldn't do anything anyway. So we bring them over to our city, take them to a lakeside, treat them a little bit specially, and encourage them in what they're doing. Let me tell you about another person. About three years back, Tara and I decided that we would like some prayer support for the villages where we're working. This town by the lake has got many villages around it, and we invited people to write to us and say, I'd like to adopt a village. I'll pray for it once a week if I remember, 
And we would link with them, and then Tara and I would visit those villages and look for people who had open hearts. In May this year, four people from this fellowship, several here this morning, came and joined us by the lake for a week. And we went to one of those villages that we've been especially praying for, and Tara and I have been visiting over the last few years. Men and women seldom overlap, particularly in villages in the country where we live. How the population grows so rapidly is a mystery to me. (laughs) Men are in the tea house, which is where I went, and Tara went with the four women to visit Aisha in a little home on the edge of the village. Aisha is about 40, she's married. She's got a couple of kids, but she's suffering from MS. And I think towards the end of that visit, there was the opportunity to pray for her, to pray for healing. And then we all met up and drove out of town. But Tara and I went back two or three weeks later in June. And we deliberately went to Aisha's door, knocked on it. And as soon as she saw us, she came up the path very, very quickly opened the gate, threw her arms around Tara and said, I'm just so much better since your friends came to pray for me. Thank you for praying for me. I'm not healed, but I just feel so much better. Now I can go into the fields and pick the produce. I felt useless before. She said, I even feel like running. At which point I offered her to meet me the next morning for a run, which was obviously a joke in that culture. And she laughed. And it's just lovely to see what God can do given focused prayer and the presence of Jesus in a very, very difficult part of the world. How to build on that? A 100% Muslim little town next to a 100% Muslim bigger town. Dozens of villages totally locked into Islam. Tara and I want to be there in the Middle East for people like Aisha. Last Christmas, probably the day before Christmas, you were wrapping Christmas presents if you were anything like me. I think it was the 23rd or the 24th of December. I don't know for sure. The Russians flew over northern Syria and dropped one of their customary bombs and it landed on a household killed mum and dad, brothers and sisters, but little Maram was left alive but badly injured. A wonderful doctor called Dr. David Knott, who works as a surgeon in London, spends his spare time travelling to Syria to salvage these kids in field hospitals, basically risking his own life to save lives. And I happened to spot that this little girl was still alive and had been brought to our country as a refugee for medical care. And David Knott was in a newspaper, a British newspaper, I think the Mirror, which I try and read online every day, briefly. And it said, David Knott didn't have a good Christmas because on Christmas Day... After he'd flown back from Syria, he was with his wife 
and his new baby in London, enjoying all the extravagance of a Western Christmas. But he couldn't get this little girl out of his mind. How is Maram, the girl I did some emergency surgery on? And he said he wanted to find out, was she still alive? Was there any hope for her? But all he knew was that she was somewhere in this huge country where I live, of 80 million people. So maybe unwisely, I decided to try and find her. How do you start? How would you start in Britain? You know, one kid in a hospital. What's the name? What's the surname? Almost impossible. So I contacted UNHCR, who were wonderfully helpful, and they put out feelers as best they could. I contacted Dr. Knott's office, who were incredibly helpful as well. I contacted Al Jazeera, who'd also covered this item of news, and wrote to the journalist involved, trying to track it down from that side. And I contacted through my friend who can provide chauffeurs and secretaries, the Minister of Health in the country where I live, who was also trying to track her down. The days passed, the weeks passed, still hadn't found Maram. I was contacting David Knott's office regularly, and they were getting a bit fed up with me, actually. And um, I rang this advisor to the president, who's a friend of mine, and said to him, any news, any news? He said, Steve, I've written it down here. Why is she so important to you? So I replied, because she's precious to God. He said, okay, now I understand. I talked to Tara. We do sometimes. And we basically got ready to fly off as soon as she was found. We were going to try and get her but Dr. Knott's office had said Great Ormond Street could open doors to get her here if necessary. And we even discussed what we do with this kid who'd lost her parents. What if she had nobody? Would we take her on? And we agreed that we would try and take her on. We'd even go through with adoption and so on if necessary. And mentally we were ready just to leave the house and fly as soon as she was found. She wasn't found through any of our contacts, but Dr. Knott, through his Syrian contacts, was able to locate her, and he was then able to visit her, and he saw through her medical needs. And wonderfully, she is now with her aunt and uncle. And as far as we know, she's doing well. But Tara and I want to be there for little kids like that, totally vulnerable people in the Middle East, at a time like this. Okay, I'm 15 minutes into this. What's it supposed to be? Tedious and what was it? I can't remember. <laughs> anyway, you've only got five minutes to go, okay? We're on to the fourth person. Excuse the gender bias, but I'm trying to compensate for the BBC. These are all young girls or women that I'm talking about this morning. A little girl, maybe 10 or 12 years old, I'm not sure. I've never met her. Also living in Syria. She was snatched from Israel in a border raid and taken to Syria as a slave. She was forced to work as a maid 
to the wife of the army chief. And perhaps, like little baby Maram, she'd lost everything. I don't know the detail. And this little girl, working as a maid, could see very clearly that the master of the house had a terrible skin disease. And but for being chief of the army, would probably be an outcast in that society. You can read the story yourself. It's only short. It's in 2 Kings, chapter 5. The account is of Naaman, chief of the army, of king of Syria, the king of Israel, and the great prophet Elisha. All these amazing men come together. And you probably know the end of the story, that Naaman is healed of this terrible skin disease. How did that come about? It came about because this little girl, probably available, available in the marketplace at two a penny, working as a household slave, had the courage to deliver just one line to her mistress who she was working for. This girl, whose name we don't know, had a choice. Probably she blamed the chief of the army, who was the head of, her, of the household she was working in, for being snatched from Israel. Because no doubt the head of the army would have had knowledge of that raid, if not having authorized that raid himself. The raid that caused her to be taken And who knows, maybe she's in the same position as Maram. What happened to her home? What happened to her parents? What happened to her siblings? We don't know. So she could have taken the attitude, my boss is suffering, serves him right. Or she could go for the, my boss is suffering, I know someone who can cure him, option. In this shockingly broken world in which we live, you and I have the same daily choices to make. Death and decay or life in Jesus. This year I've seen so much brokenness and pain in the Middle East in Central Asia. I spent time with persecuted people. I was with a guy recently. We had coffee together. He'd been punched in the face by the police. His jaw had been smashed. He'd lost loads of teeth. He'd gone through restorative surgery and was doing well just because he wouldn't deny Jesus at the police station. I've seen pain in my family Do I have a cure? No, I don't. But I know, like this little girl knew, where the answer lies. It's up there on the sixth floor with Mr. Jesus. And the little girl decided to speak. And she started a flow. She spoke to her mistress. She spoke to her husband. He spoke to the king who gave a letter to the other king, 
and then onto Elisha, and then healing came. And when we speak out God's word, when we speak the truth, it opens up a flow. We may not have much to do with that any more than she did. That's not our responsibility. But we must grab the chance of causing that flow to begin, or at least perpetuate it when we can. If this was a film, she wouldn't get much money for her part, this little girl. She's only got one line. Here it is. If only my master could go to the prophet who lives in Samaria, he would cure him of his disease. She's nameless, but she's pivotal to the story. And God is looking for nameless, not to him, but maybe to the person sitting next to you. God's looking for nameless, pivotal people to bring life into SE 26, SE 23, whichever SE number you live in. Let's not miss those if-only moments. The world's in a mess. I could be totally wrong. I hope I'm wrong. It looks to me like it's going to get worse and it's heading this way if it's not already here. We need to be grabbing those if-only moments. 21 minutes. I've got one minute to go. In a wonderful book called Patched Together, written by, I'm pausing here because I got it wrong last time I was here, written by Brennan Manning, thank you, (laughs) not Bernard. There's a priest who is encouraging a dying man. And the priest says this to the dying man. Anyone can sing in the light, but it's those who can whisper praise in darkness who are truly grateful. I've been going through some dark patches recently, some very difficult family stuff. And praising hasn't been easy. I've not been exuberant in my praise. I only made it to the Overseas Workers Conference for a few hours this week because my priorities were elsewhere. But on a good day, I can manage a whisper. I trust you can as well. And even if it's only to whisper, if only on someone's behalf, then that's a wonderful thing to do. Okay, 23 minutes, 26 seconds. My son will be proud of me. I mastered the technology and I haven't gone over time. Can I pray for you? It's a crazy world out there. Last time I was together with brothers and sisters on a Sunday was we left this city in Central Asia and we drove for two hours to a safe house so we could meet together. We were together on the Sunday morning. I was with a friend called Trevor, who some of you know. About halfway through our time together, suddenly someone rushes in. The police are here. You've got to get out. You've got five minutes to leave. So we had to pack our stuff, 
The others pretended they were playing table tennis and snooker and just... They couldn't understand what was going on in this house. There was no women, there was no alcohol, so they must be up to something that's not good, like religion or politics, so let's raid the place. So we shot out the back door. When I came in here, I was checking the doors to see which one to head out. So we shot out the door, jumped in a car, switched to another car and got back to the city hoping that we hadn't jeopardized anyone by what we're doing. It's a crazy world out there where people, you get arrested with the Bible on your phone, on an app, six months wages. That's absolutely crippling. It would be for you, probably. For them, it's desperate stuff. Second time, prison. And I don't want to tell you what goes on there. You, you wouldn't enjoy your lunch. Okay, it's a mad world out there. We've got to grab these if-only moments and bring light into dark places. And from what I've seen of southeast London over the last month that I've been back, there's plenty of dark places right on our doorstep here that we need to bring light into. Why don't you stand up if you want to? uh, Lord, I thank you for... SE26, for my brothers and sisters here this morning who you've put in this place. Lord, I pray that your so be in their individual lives, your so be in the life of Forest Hill Community Church, that individually and collectively they will enjoy and grab hold of, if only moments to transform what's going on in this place and beyond. And Lord, whatever hardships people are going through here, and I can understand some of that, and some of it's hard to talk about, and some of it's not appropriate to talk about, but Lord, I pray that you'll be there, and no matter what, there'll be the ability to whisper praise and do what's tough to do in the dark and easier to do in the light. We welcome the light, but in the absence of it, we choose to hold on to you and bring your light into a desperate world in Jesus' name. Amen.